0: Oh, all right. The great exchange, the great exchange, the great exchange is this idea that Jesus changes everything. We talked a lot about that last week, that Jesus is everything, that Jesus changes everything, and he has brought us from death, spiritual death into life, eternal life. If you've missed either of the last two Sundays, Uh, just don't settle for that, right? Get grumpy on that one. Go to the podcast, watch online, listen online, feed yourself with the Word of God. Uh, I just encourage you, powerful messages. We talked about Luke chapter 4. We talked about Isaiah chapter 61. And remember, in these passages, it talks about this anointed one of God. It talks about this Messiah who came to earth to save his people, to rescue God's people from sin. Two weeks ago, we talked about how we were in captivity, right? In those chains, And yet, we went from captivity into freedom. Praise the Lord. Last week, we talked about how he has given us a crown of, anyone? Crown of beauty, right? A crown of beauty instead of ashes. Anyone here for that message? Anyone need that message, right? I know I needed that message. Now, this week, anyone have a guess of what today might be about? Joy in the morning, praise the Lord. No, (laughs) morning in to joy, morning in to joy. An oil of joy, the Bible says, an oil of gladness instead of mourning. Before we go any further, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just pray over this room, and Lord, I just see, um, even I'm sensing, Lord, just, um, there's some people that are not in here walking whole right now, um, just less than and and I just pray over them right now that your spirit would encourage them that whatever they're feeling stuck in whatever addiction or trap or whatever thing that they're doing that's bringing them shame that God they would just bring it to your altar today that every person here for anything that's been self-induced or self-inflicted that right now Lord they could be washed clean by your spirit and I just I sense that Lord in such a heavy way right now And I pray anyone, Lord, right now who's settling for less than, that there'd be an encouragement from your spirit that you'd give them more today, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone who's just, I just sense it, the heaviness, they they can't even smile. Lord, I pray right now your joy would come into this place, that you'd comfort people with your joy. I I pray that even as I'm preaching, Lord, a song would just begun to be sung by by your spirit from heaven above over your children. That, Lord, whatever... They're trapped in whatever darkness, whatever closet, Lord, that you would gently, by your spirit, just begin to open that door and light would invade. We pray freedom over every person here, Lord, every person. Satan, you lost. Jesus, you win. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus gives us the oil of joy instead of mourning. Again, that's what Isaiah 61 talks about with this promised Messiah. And I was thinking about this week, just how true that is. Again, I've said it the last couple of weeks. Aren't you so happy to be a Christian? I love being a Christian. Have you hung out with me? I'm so happy. <laughs> and yet my life sucks a lot of the time. <laughs> it does. I go through some tough things. But I got joy. Don't you got joy as a Christian? Don't you have some joy? Yeah. Isn't, that great? Isn't that great? I just love the joy that we have as Christians. Circumstances, situations, people. Yeah, you know, they kind of attack it, Right? They get at you in your flesh. You want to punch them. <laughs> you know, yeah. Hallelujah. Amen, brother. But, you know, as Christian, I, you know, we just don't have to settle there, right? Even when we feel that, like you know, that's less than who I am. I'm not going to stay there. I'm not, I'm not going to hang out in that pool. I, I have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord, and and I, I just I love that. I, I love. I I I don't know if. Anyone else was kind of letting the rain get to you, but um, but I figure if you can learn how to have joy in rainy for the last however many months, you can have joy in any circumstance. Again, we got joy. We've learned how to have joy. Not you don't learn really how to have joy when you're on the mountaintop all the time. Where do you learn how to have joy? Yeah, learn how to have joy when you're in the valley. That's where it gets deepened. And we have joy, just the joy in the Lord. And I, I was thinking about. How excited I was when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, right? I was just, I was so pumped up, and even, I'm a huge Zags fan, you know, we lived in Spokane for a long time, and I I love the Zags, they made it into the national championship game, I'm I'm freaking out, so excited. But yet, the joy of those moments, really, they pale, pale in comparison to the joy that Jesus gives us every day. It's this amazing gift, right? The Father, uh, who art in heaven, this amazing God, this holy God, he sends his Son, and when he sent his Son to die for you he didn't just save you from your sins he actually gave you the abundant life you get to live this abundant life with joy joy is part of the package if you meet someone who says they're a christian you should probably meet joy did you know that if there's a room full of christians there should be a lot of joy in that room i said that friday night i was speaking for the seventh day adventist and i told them that i said this is a room full of joy and at the time it was funny because a lot of them were frowning when i said that and then you could kind of see like Yeah, 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 joy. (laughs) Joy. Joy. Remember that. Remember that. You know, I was thinking about when you look at the news, (laughs) or I I used to be on Facebook. I had to get off Facebook. Because Facebook, by the way, they're supposed to be your friends. And yet I would read my friends' posts. I'm like, man, where's the joy? Where's the joy? Or just rub shoulders, rub elbows with somebody, just have a conversation with someone. And sometimes I'm just like, man, where's the joy? People are living without joy. And yet, regardless of how you came in through those doors today, regardless of how you have been thinking or acting or speaking, there's joy here today. There's a joy. There's a joy that only the Lord, my Savior, my King, he can bring, and Peter talks about this, and Peter, he's one of his disciples, a close guy with Jesus, and he says in First Peter, verse 8, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him, you, you love Jesus, and that's most of us in this room, and even though you do not see him, now you believe in him, you believe in Jesus, and you know what, you're filled, you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus brings us joy. He doesn't just bring a little bit of joy. He doesn't just bring a hint of joy. It's not just a sliver of joy. It is so big, so full, so abundant, so great, so amazing that it is inexpressible and it is glorious. Jesus brings us joy. Amen? Amen. When you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus walking on the earth before he died and before he was resurrected, it's amazing the joy he would bring into different situations. In Matthew chapter 5, there's a section uh, we call the Beatitudes. And and here he just is so good at encouraging people. And and he, he encourages his followers with some pretty powerful and amazing truths. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You're blessed. And he says, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those are good, huh? Those are good. It makes you want to write a song. It's about the Beatitudes, how you are blessed in the Lord. Jesus is amazing. I was thinking about with this, the, this passage, the Beatitudes. Jesus comes in and he comes into real people, real human beings with real emotions, real ups and downs, real hurts, real difficulties, real disappointments, but not just to the extreme. He comes to people who are just maybe feeling a little down, a little depressed, a little discouraged, a little less than, right? He comes in and he says, hey, I, I want you to know that I came for you. I want you to know that I came for you. You know what? The kingdom of heaven is for you. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is exactly for people just like you. In my kingdom, and he calls you by name, he says, in my kingdom, you are blessed. And the words, like the Beatitudes, the words that Jesus speaks over our lives, they're so encouraging that even when it feels like everything's going wrong, even when you feel weak, even when you're hurting, even when you feel like a little down or a little off, Jesus comes and he speaks his word over you just like he did in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. And he says, you know what? I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But you rejoice. You be glad. For great, great is your reward in heaven. And by the way, he'll speak that truth to anyone who will listen. If you want to listen to him, he'll speak that over your life. If you don't want to listen to him, he'll, he'll be kind, he'll be polite to you. He's not going to force you. He's, he's not going to make you into a robot. If you don't want to have joy, you don't have to have joy. I guess that's your right as well as a human being. But he'll speak this truth over anyone and everyone who will listen. And again, he's so amazing. Jesus spent his earthly ministry with the sick. He spent his time with the poor. He spent his time with those who were outcast, the forgotten. He spent his time, I love this one, he spent his time with those who the religious leaders said were the worst of sinners, and yet there Jesus was hanging out with them. He came for everybody and anybody who might call on the name of the Lord. He was ready to save them, regardless of their position, regardless of their title, regardless of successes or failures, regardless if they were like the most righteous person on earth or the worst of sinners. He came for everyone, and he wanted to save anyone and everyone who would call on his name, who would believe in him. He came for all of us, and you need to hear this. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Probably all of us need to hear this because don't you know the devil messes with our mind. He came. Came for you, Did you know that? He thinks highly enough of you that he came for you. Even if you're sitting here right now and not thinking very highly of yourself, God is thinking highly about you. He came for you. When everyone else was looking the other way, you ever feel rejected right by the world? You ever feel abandoned by the world? Have you ever had that where you thought you had a group and then all of a sudden they're all gone? Right? I, I, I experience that all the time. But he says, hey, and he calls you by name. Hey, you, I've been looking for you. I've been trying to find you. Don't you know he's really good at finding people? Praise the Lord. He goes, I know everybody else has given up on you. I know it's looking hard. I know you got some trouble. But I want to encourage you. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. Do you hear the voice of the Lord? I hope you do. This is what he speaks to every son and daughter. Rejoice and be glad. And as Christians, that's what we do. That's who we are. For 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years, we've been doing this thing called rejoicing. We've been doing this thing called being glad. As the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, you know how often he says rejoice in the Lord? Anyone know the answer? Two points. Always. I knew you were going to have it. That's why I looked at you. Always. Always. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Always always, not just because everything's going right, not just because the Sounders won the MLS Cup, which is really good news, let me praise the Lord, God is a God of the Sounders. <laughs> right? But not because you did that, not because you won the lottery, not because you finally got in a relationship and you're able to move the status from it's complicated, you know. When <laughs> those are all good things. Boom, bam, in a relationship. If you've ever done that, then like two weeks later, you're like, not in a relationship. <laughs> Never, don't do it. Just don't go there on Facebook. It's a mess. But no, we rejoice and we've been rejoicing for the past 2,000 years because we have the Lord, right? As Christians, we have Jesus. We got Jesus. And you can't take Jesus away from me. Nothing and no one is going to take him away from me. And so I can agree with the Apostle Paul's declaration in 1 Thessalonians 5. As for me, I'm rejoicing always. I'm praying continually, and I will give thanks in all circumstances. Right? All. 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 Always. All circumstances. Why? Not because of myself. Not because of this world. All because of Jesus. Jesus is that good. Jesus and only Jesus gives us the supernatural ability to turn our mourning into joy. It's what he does. It's who he is. Now finding joy in Jesus is a little bit different than how the world finds joy, and we get all sucked into this from time to time. You can get dragged down into this as a human being, but the world's attempts at joy it often includes the accumulation of stuff right what I can get into my house, get into uh, my hands really i uh, you know the latest iPhone maybe or electronic gizmo you know if i get, if I get that, maybe that'll bring me some joy, often a big one is money, right, if I just had a little bit more money, I'd have some joy, a lot of people get stuck in the idea of a relationship doing it, right, the relationship is going to solve everything and give me this joy, Uh, others of us, it's a new job, right, if I I just get a new job, a different job, right, if I can get out of this one and get to a new one, then, man, I'm really going to have joy, And, and I don't know what it is for you. But just think about, just go back over the last six, seven days and think about all the efforts you've made, personally that you've made, to try to find joy. Think about the time you've spent, the energy you've spent, the effort you've spent trying to find joy in something other than Jesus. And when you're really walking through the valley, and we spent a long long time talking about the valley last week, when you're in that place of mourning or despair, and, and we've all been there, my pastor in Spokane said you're either coming out of a valley or you're going into a valley. I mean, we all experience the valley, but it's amazing in those times how much we desire just a sliver, just a taste of a little bit of joy. And as humans, this is when we go often into some pretty unhealthy places to try and find that joy. I was reading a behavioral health uh, article this week, and it was talking about how often after the loss of a loved one, to walk through grief, people will self-medicate. Self-medicate, and and often this self-medicating of grief can turn into full-blown alcohol or full-blown drug addiction. And I'm sure in a room this size you've maybe witnessed that or experienced that, maybe with a family member, maybe with a loved one. Maybe uh, you've experienced that, uh, going through that yourself. Maybe you currently are going through that yourself. And and most addictions start small enough, simple enough, just good, ordinary, normal people, trying their best to at a little joy, and maybe just some relief. Maybe just a bit of happiness. And there's so many different things that can trap us. Sex or gambling, smoking, drinking, fast food, shopping. The list is long, right, of things that we can get trapped into. And and most often when I talk to people, it starts pretty innocently. I mean, it really does. I mean, again, these are good people. And it starts just trying to find a little happiness. And the reality is those things kind of work, right? I mean, let's not be stupid here i mean they do that some level they kind of help and so they feed us and they satisfy at a certain level but it's amazing how quickly we begin to depend upon these things where they begin to be what we turn to first in our grief we turn to first in our mourning they're what we turn to first when we're a little stressed out or when we're depressed and it's scary and it's dangerous that we begin to depend on anything anything besides jesus to satisfy and to bring us joy It's a scary road to go down. And I think if all of us, again, if we thought long enough, if we thought hard enough, every one of us would think of areas in our lives where we've attempted to go down this path. And it's scary because you convince yourself that you actually need it, right? I I need this thing, whatever it is, that this thing is going to make me happy. But then the next morning comes the next morning after the hangover, the next morning after a night of gambling, the next morning after an affair. ...or any other expression of sexual immorality... ...the next morning comes... ...and the problem is that the emptiness is still there... ...the depression is still there... ...the grief, the sorrow, it's still there... ...then what do we do? We just go back to it again and again and again... ...and at some level, every person in this room... ...we've walked through this process before... ...it's temporary bliss... ...a moment of happiness... ...but it becomes tied to a drug... ...or to a bottle... ...to a computer screen... Maybe to a material possession. And again, that's why I love Jesus so much. Jesus is this amazing. Because he's the only one, the only one, who can actually not just mask our mourning or temporarily cover our grief. But see, Jesus, he can come in and he can supernaturally replace our mourning with joy. It's a work that only Jesus can do. I remind you of this great passage in John chapter 16. Jesus, he's given these final words to his disciples And uh, he's about to get arrested. He's about to die. But before all this happens, this is what he says to them. He says, a little while, you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We, We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while you will see me? Verse 20, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will lament. But the world, they're going to laugh. They're going to live it up. They're going to rejoice. You will be sorrowful, comma, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered that baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, man, you have sorrow. I get it. But I'm going to see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. We can only imagine the grief and the sorrow the disciples must have felt. I mean, just think what they experienced. Their teacher, their rabbi, their master, the one who they've been following day after day. He was beaten. He was crucified on that cross. They knew the pain of loss. They experienced the grief in the mourning that comes from loss. I I can only imagine. In fact, I can't imagine. Because look, I mean, when you look at and you read the stories of Jesus and his disciples, all that they witnessed, like all the miracles, I mean, isn't it exciting when you read about Jesus walking with the disciples? The joy that they experienced, the life that they experienced, the the love that they experienced. I mean, they saw people who were blind and they regained their sight. He saw people, they couldn't walk and then Jesus would pray over them and they regained strength and they could walk. They even found dead people, dead people who smelled. And Jesus came in, and He brought them back to life. They'd seen so much. They'd witnessed so much life and love and joy as they followed Jesus. By the way, the disciples—they had given up everything to follow Jesus, and yet now He's gone. He's gone. And again, just intense grief and sorrow. If you study the scriptures, you know that the disciples—they never could have imagined their Messiah dying. That wasn't part of the the the, the, the process. That wasn't a part of the plan in their minds. Him dying when he came into Jerusalem, that was not their idea. They, they couldn't even comprehend that. He was coming in to establish his earthly kingdom to rule and to reign. And so when he died, though numerous times he told them that, hey, I'm going to have to die. He told them that again and again. They just didn't get it. And so his death, it rattles them, rattles them. And so along with grief, along with sorrow, there was also you know, a tremendous amount of fear amongst the disciples. Again, I mean, they'd given up everything for Jesus, and now he's gone. And so they're kind of left wondering, like, what happens next, right? What do we do next? In fact, in the Bible, one of the first times that Jesus appears, in the Bible it says that when they were together, the doors were locked. You know why the doors were locked? Because they were in fear. Fear of the Jewish leaders. Even after he had appeared, uh, they still were confused. He had to actually show them his hands, show them his side to prove that it was really him and, and not a ghost. But then a moment happens. A moment happens when they realize it's really him. And when they realize it's really him, the Bible says that the disciples were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. When they saw the Lord, overjoyed. And then from then on, after they realized it was really him, all those prophecies, all that was prophesied, it began to make sense. The things that they could not understand, could not comprehend before his death and before his resurrection, they were now beginning to understand. They were now beginning to comprehend. Jesus raised from the dead, just like he predicted. And as he told them in John chapter sixteen I'm going to see you again. And your hearts, they will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that's exactly what happened, Lifespring. That's exactly what happened. And by the way, beyond what any of them ever thought was possible. And yet here they see their master, their Lord, their rabbi once again. And their hearts rejoiced. And they were filled with joy. It was a joy that no one and nothing could take away from them and it was a joy that wasn't based on circumstances, wasn't based on situations. Their joy was based on one thing and one thing alone. And he has a name and his name is Jesus. Jesus. It reminds me of this scene at the end of John. It's just so full of joy. Every time I read this uh, passage I'm just so encouraged by God's great love for us. Jesus' great love for his disciples and for us. He's already appeared a couple of times to the disciples at this point, but then there's this scene, and if you remember the scene, Peter decides he's going to go back fishing. He's going to go fishing again, and this is how the message records it. It says, after this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberius Sea, and this is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the brother Zebedee, two other disciples, they were all together. Peter announces, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. They went out, got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them. Good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? No. Throw the net off the right side of the boat. See what happens. They did it all of a sudden. So many fish were in it. So many fish. They weren't strong enough to pull up the nets. The disciple Jesus loves says to Peter, (laughs) it's the master. It's Jesus. When Simon Peter realized it was Jesus, when he realized it was the master, what did he do? He threw on some clothes because he was naked. He threw on some clothes for he was stripped for work and he dives into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat before they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid. With fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, you know, bring the fish over that you just caught. Simon Peter joined them. He's pulling the net to shore. 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the Bible says, the net didn't rip. And then Jesus declares, breakfast is ready. I love that story. I love it because it's a story of joy. Right? Just pure joy Jesus comes to his disciples in his joy he fills their nets I think that's why he filled their nets just because he loves them and he's just full of joy and here you go I'm filling your nets He cooks them breakfast out of his joy. I didn't know Jesus could cook, but there you go. He cooks breakfast out of his joy. But Jesus isn't the only one filled with joy. The disciples, they're filled with joy. Peter's so filled with joy, he can barely stand it. He puts on some clothes, he dives into the sea. Peter, by the way, by diving into the sea, he leaves everybody else there, right? He abandons his crew, abandons his friends. He leaves the boat, leaves the fish with him. It's just this beautiful picture of joy, the love and joy-filled relationship between Jesus and his disciples. As you read these post-resurrection accounts, you see it. You see it. And they begin to realize, like, he's actually alive. Like, it's the real deal. He's beaten death. And, and, it, he's, he, and he alone has actually made a way for me to live for all eternity, to be in a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And this realization, this understanding, it changes them, church. I mean, it changes them. Radically changes the disciples. It changes how they behave. It changes how they act. It changes how they live for the rest of their lives. And again, as Peter writes himself in 1 Peter, he says, because of this resurrection, they now had a supernatural, inexpressible, and oh so glorious joy. And didn't it didn't come from society accepting them, right? didn't it come from the Jewish leaders inviting them to be their friends. No, it just came from Jesus. The fact that by Jesus' death and resurrection, they had received the salvation for their souls. They now, because of Jesus, have the hope The hope of spending eternity with their loving father. And they knew at that point that nobody could take that away from them. You ain't taking my joy. And it changes them. It changes them. In fact, this joy, it leads them into living some pretty radical and intense lives for the Lord. Especially when you compare it to how many of us live our lives in America. If you keep reading John chapter 21 in this beautiful setting, again, just picture the setting. Jesus eating breakfast with his disciples. They're hanging out with the master. But then Jesus goes on and he tells Peter something that I think goes unnoticed by most Christians today. We don't preach on this one very often. But in this scene of joy, of love, of peace, just pure heavenly bliss, Jesus goes over to Peter. Hey, Peter, i got something to say to you. Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But, Peter, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you, and they'll lead you where you don't want to go. Verse 19 Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. That's incredible to me, church. Peter, now that you're done with breakfast. I want you to know that you're going to die for me. <laughs> I mean, did he have like, a, you know, the tail in his hand? He just kind of set it down. Like, <laughs> Peter, you're going to go where you don't want to go. And Peter, you're going to go there because of me. You're going to go there because of my name. But it's going to be okay. I got you. I love you. Even as you walk through it all, all the pain, all the suffering, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, Peter. I'll be with you till the very end. In this world, Peter, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I did it, Peter. I did it. It's finished. The victory is yours in me. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, man, yeah, yes, I love you. I, I love you, Jesus. I love you so much. Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. You ready, Peter? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Follow me. And Peter, and for Peter and the rest of the disciples, they end up pouring out their lives for the kingdom of God. And I believe they were willing to do it. I believe they were willing to lay down their lives because they no longer were looking for joy in circumstances or situations. Again, something that we all get trapped into. But they had found their life in something so much better. A joy that no one and no thing, even death itself, could ever take away From them, they found their joy in Jesus, and it changed everything. reminds you of this short article I found on CBN.com. I'll just share a portion of it. I love what the guy says. He, He says, perhaps the greatest change caused by the resurrection was in the character of the disciples. They had previously been timid, afraid, and depressed after witnessing the arrest and suffering of Jesus. But after his resurrection, they became aggressive, bold, and full of joy. He says, Peter is the prime example. He was the one who earlier denied the Lord to a lowly servant girl. But after the resurrection, he stood in the temple courts defying the very men who put Jesus on the cross. When you observe the post-resurrection disciples, you see they had life. They had life. Their circumstances didn't matter. They had joy in the midst of suffering. They had peace in the midst of turmoil. Nothing could take away their passion arising from the everlasting life they had received from Christ. The disciples believed so much in the resurrection that they gave their lives to sharing the news. The first to die was James, the brother of John, who was killed by the sword upon the order of King Herod. Church tradition holds that John miraculously survived being put in a cauldron of boiling water, then later was exiled to the island of Patmos. Peter was crucified in Rome, upside down. Matthew was slain by a sword in a distant city in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, was thrown from a pinnacle of the temple, then beaten to death with a blacksmith's tool. Philip was hanged against a pillar at Hierapolis in Phrygia. Bartholomew was skinned alive. Andrew was bound to a cross, and he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a lance in the East Indies. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was first stoned and then beheaded. Mark died in Alexandria in Egypt after being cruelly dragged through the city. The writer writes, let me ask you, would you have died for a lie? Would these disciples have endured such persecution for a dead man? No, they saw the risen Lord. Then they gave their very lives in service to him. They were no longer afraid of death because they'd found the true meaning of life. They were transformed for they were living in resurrection life. And I'm sure, come on, let's be honest, they're human just like us. There were moments of despair, right? There were moments of grief. There were moments of sorrow, of course. But Peter and the rest of these disciples, they found, they actually found what so many people in this world continue to look for, continue to hope for. They found, they actually found it. They found life. They found everlasting life. They found True, unfailing love. And they found inexpressible and glorious joy. And they found it all in Jesus. And even as the world took away their lives, they couldn't take away the life they found in Jesus. The joy they'd found in Jesus. And even to their very last breath on this earth, I believe this, they were able to hold on to the words of their master. Rejoice. And be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And he offers that same joy and gladness to each of us today. I would invite the worship team to come back up, but I want you to know you have the right as a follower of Jesus Christ to rejoice and be glad today. Don't let the enemy or anybody else steal your joy today. I don't know what you're going through. I'm sure it's hard I'm sure it feels unbearable. I'm sure it feels like nobody else understands. But I just hope nobody leaves here this morning without receiving from the Lord His everlasting, inexpressible, and glorious joy. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads?